Welcome, everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With the man right in the middle of it all, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul, and good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. Welcome back again. If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing I've learned in my 30-plus years of doing this, it's to uh, look at both sides of the equation, get yourself informed, and make the best business decision going forward. And so I thought what we'd do today is give you guys out there some information so uh, it's a little more helpful in your daily decision-making, and I'm excited about today's show because it's a topic we haven't done before and it's a sort of a niche market in the commercial real estate industry but before we get going i do want to do a shout out to uh, all the people out there last night that passed out candy to me in particular uh, i am still suffering from uh, sugar letdown this morning so if i'm speaking slow that's the reason happy post halloween to everyone out there and I'm, I'm hoping you got enough candy to at least get you through the week with that said i want to welcome our guest uh, dane elefante chief operating officer officer of Platinum Storage Group here based in, in Newport Beach, our next door neighbor uh, in our office complex. So, uh, Dane, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. Our topic today is public storage and storage in general. Mm-hmm. And so while people don't normally think about public storage being part of the commercial real estate world, we've talked about office, we've talked about industrial, we talk about apartments. Public storage is really something that applies to almost everybody out there and, and really is a niche market or niche aspect of the market uh, in the commercial real estate world. And, and that's really your guy's specialty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, today, um, I think it's about one in 10 Americans have used storage at some point in their life. And that number is increasing every year. I mean, it used to be, I mean, the first time people I think saw storage was Silence of the Lambs when she goes into the storage unit back in the day and, you know, to figure whatever out but today i mean even in pop culture you're seeing it in movies you know people use it every day when they're in college when they're moving i mean whenever there's anything major going on in your life you're touching storage in some way so we're there to help you and from your company's perspective just to give uh, the folks out there an overview you guys do really all aspects of the public storage world uh, per se you do ground up development you do value add and rehab expansions you do management for other mm-hmm. folks and, and you have facilities not only here in southern california but elsewhere mm-hmm. uh, throughout the country as well mm-hmm. yeah right now we're nationwide we're we're in seven states we've operated up to 22 in the past Right now, you know, we're focusing primarily on value add, like you talked about, which is buying a facility, you know, either expanding it, adding new amenities, or, you know, I like to call it operational repositioning because we're a very operationally intensive industry. You know, unlike some other, you know, types of real estate where maybe you have three high credit, you know, tenants that you bring in and then you're full, you know, the average storage facilities, you know, six to 700 tenants. There's different things going on all the time and how you operate your business has a huge impact on the type of cash flow you can generate. And you know, ultimately, I think that's that's where you drive a lot of the value in this industry. And we were talking about it before we went on the air. You know, my perspective of public storage is I go there and there's like one guy in a box or in the office or whatever, like going to a gas station. Mm-hmm. But it's really not the case because the back end operations of the public storage is pretty intensive. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even from a marketing standpoint, even starting from a marketing standpoint, you know, it used to be visibility, right? If you're on Jamboree or you're on a main road, you're full. You know, you put a yellow page ad, you get a double truck yellow page ad, you know, people call your number, they move in. But, you know, nowadays you need to be visible all over the Internet. You got social media, you know, all the way down to TikTok, up to Facebook. 
And you know, you want to be where people are at in front of their eyes, and both in the digital world, but also in the physical world. And then operating the physical plan itself, you know, usually it's about you know two, maybe three employees, depending on the size of the facility. But you know, you're doing collection calls, you're sweeping, you know, turning over units. We're probably turning over average 30, 40 units a month. But luckily for our industry, that's just a broom and some soapy water to make sure it's rent ready. You know, it's all those little things that you're doing day to day, lock checks. You know, making sure you know all the different repairs that go into making sure the facility's sound, that your cameras are up, that you know the facility's well lit, that you know when something's going wrong at the facility. Um, you know, security is very important to us. So you know, making sure if something happens that you know we're getting to the bottom of how it happened and preventing it in the future. But yeah, it, it looks simple from the uh, you know from the outside, but you know as time's gone on, tech's become a bigger part of uh, our industry. I think tech got into multifamily and some of the other industries you know before us and. We were kind of a, a second thought for a lot of these tech companies, but you know, we recently, in the last few years, invested in a technology company that builds prop tech, and that's the technology that is basically the heart of our self-storage facility. So you have your physical plant, but you need tech that actually unlocks and locks doors, locks people out if they're overdue, you know, generates text to people if they owe a payment, and you know, your ability to customize that technology is basically it's going to drive how you can differentiate yourself as an operator. It's getting more and more competitive and more and more sophisticated every year. You have to think of things that you haven't thought of before. Like right now, everyone's moving to remote management. They want to be able to have expanded hours for our customers because that's what they want. But you know, you don't always have the capability to be able to facilitate that. So you've seen Bluetooth locks enter the industry, even analog locks where we can disseminate our code. You can enter that code on an analog lock. You know, you'll, you'll pay your, you'll rent, move in, take the lock off, and you're in your yeah. unit without ever meeting anybody in the office. And so today, with technology playing such a bigger role, it, it plays it really on both sides of the equation, right? So mm -hmm. it plays it for you on the back end stuff, but for the consumer who comes in to rent public storage, you're telling me that you guys are doing it almost all virtually now so that you don't have to come in and spend a bunch of time filling out a bunch of paperwork. Mm -hmm. And then the accessibility to the facility is all electronic as well. Well, you don't get a key so much anymore. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have a hodgepodge where, you know, it takes a big investment sometimes to get something where it's completely automated. But right now, going back to the company I'd mentioned, Tenant Inc., they provide a website that we utilize and customize where somebody can hit our website, they can choose a unit, they can choose, hey, do I want a unit further from the elevator, closer to the elevator, and they can make their choice based on price. They can rent a unit, sign a lease. You know, we, we have a program in there that will do 180 different types of ID verification. So you know, take a picture of your license, take a picture of your face, it will make sure you're the same person who signed the lease, and you're in. You'll get a code, you'll download an app, you can open our gate, and you can open your unit. And so what's the typical length of lease if there is one, or typical time that somebody winds up having storage? I mean, I know people that have had storage their whole life, mm -hmm. and then I know other people that get it for a couple of months just as an interim kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the interesting thing about storage, and we probably all, uh, you know, this has probably happened to all of us, my, my family included, is most people intend to rent for you know three or six months, and then they turn out needing storage in a, in a, for longer than that. You know they'll turn out staying with us for I, I think the average stay is about 12 to 18 months. Huh. And then you look at some of our older facilities, and over time you accumulate people who utilize their storage unit as an extension of their house. Maybe you know they they downsized and they you know whole bedroom worth of furniture they needed to put in a unit, or they have their holiday stuff. They have a little five by five, and the closer they are 
they live to our facility, the more they utilize the unit as kind of an extension of their house. So, And it's interesting because I find that, like, I talk to people and they say, oh, well, I bought this really expensive couch and I have, a, or I have this old dining set that I really don't want to get rid of. And mm-hmm. so they put it in storage and then they don't realize they wound up paying 10 times what the stuff is mm-hmm. worth, <laughs> the storage <laughs> fees, to store their stuff. And mm-hmm. it just kind of, it goes, right? And people f- feel comfy that they have this place to put their things. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of sentimental value, I think, with the things that people are putting in storage, and they don't always have a place to put it in their house. And I, you know, I think a general trend that we saw starting really with COVID was now people are downsizing. They need an office yeah. in their home. I mean, we, we saw probably a 20, 30 cent per square foot increase in rent in the last two years, probably a little bit more than that. And it's because there's been such a surge of demand because people, you know, homes are getting smaller, apartments are getting smaller. And now that you have somebody utilizing either part of their bedroom or an entire room or maybe even their garage as an office they need some place to put that stuff and you know they do as much as we say we don't need that stuff we do you know there's a lot of people who utilize it for their camping gear the christmas stuff but you're right you know there's a lot of times you put something in there and yeah <laughs> you take but, it out 10 years later and you go what was i doing but especially here in southern california where you don't get a basement like you'd get on the east coast or in mm-hmm. the midwest and then you don't have big yards or storage sheds or things like that i mean if you do wind up using one of the extra rooms in your home mm-hmm. as an office or a playroom or whatever it is you really need a place to go put all that stuff yeah and you want it to be within a couple miles of your house that's a five minute drive and you can grab the stuff whenever you need it and so in terms of rents, like I equated a little bit on the apartment side uh, in the sense that the apartment market has really gone up mm-hmm. uh, over the last year with the whole COVID thing, with people not moving, working from home, and there's a whole dynamic with that. With the public storage, do you think that the rise in uh, rental rates is attributable to the simple concept of supply and demand, where there's just more demand and so therefore uh, prices go up? Or is it a combination of uh, that plus some inflation plus the fact that there's just not a lot of land around here in Southern California to go build new mm-hmm. storage facilities? Well, I'll, just to kind of go back, because you brought up an interesting point about basements and attics, is you actually see a lower demand in those markets for storage. Seven and a half square feet per capita or per person in an area is what we use to measure a market. So if you're under that, it means you're undersupplied. If you're, you know, 10 square feet per capita, then we know we're oversupplied. But if you're still looking at 95% occupancies and rates that are climbing, you still know there's more demand in that market than even the industry standard of seven and a half square feet. And you know, now there's a lot of climate control coming online and customers are getting more educated on that product because, you know, you don't want your wood furniture in a unit that's going up 20 degrees and down 20 degrees right. every night. And maybe, you know, there might you might have more rodent issues outside. People want to be in, you know, a climate and humidity or heat and cold and humidity controlled environment. So there's almost a separate demand that's been created for that product that didn't exist for some of the existing products. But going back to just the, the metrics of, you know, or, you know, supply and demand, we got to the point at a lot of our facilities where we couldn't keep units free. So we, you know, really, I, I guess that really pushed prices up in the, in the short term. So wait list, kind of like apartments, right? Where so, yeah. as soon as somebody leaves, it's rented. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think a function of it is even with the new supply coming on, what I think is really interesting is we, we saw probably one of the biggest surges in new supply. So ground up development and those facilities opening in our areas. It had little to no impact because the demand was so great during this time. Now, I will say in the last few months, um, I think with the slowdown of people moving into homes, I think people are a little bit more cautious with home buying right now. You know, rates are up. Everything's a lot less affordable and prices haven't come down. I think there was at least kind of a temporary demand that was being created by people, you know, putting their stuff in a unit, maybe fixing up a home and moving in. 
but I really haven't seen a, a major shift in move-ins going down or anything like that. If anything, we had some move-outs that incre- started to increase later, you know, third quarter this year. And I think that could be attributed to, again, people are settling in their homes. There's, you don't have that turnover anymore. But also, I think people are tightening their belts right now. Yeah, and that very well could be the case. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's sort of a double-edged sword. You've got the tightening of the belt. You've got rates are going up, so people go, hey, maybe it's time for me to mm-hmm. bring it back or throw some stuff away. But the flip side of it is the people who are looking at moving into a bigger home mm-hmm. or moving into a bigger apartment both the apartment market and the home market are a tight and b expensive Mm -hmm. so if i can't do that i really have to keep the storage as Mm -hmm. just a supplement to what i have going on oh yeah absolutely and and so just in the comparison to apartments you know there's rent control for apartments uh and there's really a lack of supply but on the public storage side there's really no the, the rent control is really what your competitors are doing or whether somebody will just move out because it's too big of an increase and you don't want the turnover right mm-hmm. i mean there is some sort of inherent growth that you can have and and the sky's the limit depending upon the market yeah and uh, you know it's really interesting that's happening in our industry today is we actually utilize two different revenue management systems so those are looking at how many move-ins and move-outs of a specific unit type and making pricing decisions daily so you know if we're not seeing any movement in our 10 by 20s and we have 10 of them left it's going to like a hotel right it's an algorithm yeah. like for a hotel yeah we, we've totally gone that direction and then even with value pricing whenever you have a multi-story facility you're going to move in for three months you know why not move in in the unit that's closest to the door you're going to probably pay movers so that's going to reduce your cost right yeah but if you're going to stick your stuff in there for three years and you're going overseas or whatever go go stick it in the back unit and we'll give you a great rate on that right. so you know that's that's kind of what's interesting about our industry right now but i think as more and more people get on you know this more like ai pricing model it's going to be interesting because the market's really going to be determining that pricing but you know you could be asking the highest rate in the world but if you know you have competitors down the street and you know they're 50 bucks less or 100 bucks less you know, maybe maybe you have one unit left, and you're just going to wait till somebody you know rents it at that price. It's like Southwest Airlines, right? If there's yeah. one seat left on the plane, you're going to pay five hundred bucks, and if you'd called six months earlier, mm-hmm. it'd been fifty nine dollars. Yeah, and, and, and while we're a commodity, I mean, we're empty space, right? There are amenities, like I said, like being really close to the door. If somebody just needs you for a couple months, that's an amenity, and maybe somebody will pay an extra hundred bucks a month or sixty bucks a month yeah. for the convenience. So, you know, I think there's um, been a lot of differentiation that's happened in storage in the last few years, and. People are understanding that amenities do matter, climate control matters, proximity to the door matters. I moved when I was in college, and I went, oh, I'm going to get the cheap unit, you know, around the two corners. And I was like, I'll never do this again. Right, right. <laughs> going down, all the way down the hallway like, and yeah. up the stairs. It was an extra three hours of, of moving stuff, right. mattresses around corners. And so, you know, people will pay for convenience, and there's an idea they have in their head of how long they'll need storage, but I think people have to be real with themselves on, hey... I'm saying I need three months. I mean, that just happened when I was in between homes. I thought I needed three months. I was in for six months, and yeah. I think that's a common story. Yeah, well, and that's from the operator's perspective. The longer the lease you sign, the better the deal you get. But if mm-hmm. you can't commit, you pay a premium, Yeah, and then you wind up, you just made a mistake. You just mm-hmm. paid a little extra. But so let, let's shift gears for a second, because it's public storage, it's still real estate. Like So yeah. from the operator's perspective, from the owner's perspective, it is still to a certain degree location, location, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you need to be where the people live so that they will come to you. You can't be out in the sticks. It's a tougher sell. I would say over time it's changed. Going back to my example of being on Jamboree, you know, if somebody sees your facility for 20 years, they're eventually going to need storage and they're going to rent with you. You know, we're a need based industry. Everyone's going to need us at some point in their life. But yeah, I agree. Location, location, location. So when we're looking at a market, we want to see at very minimum 50,000 people within three miles. Because those, you know, 65% of our runners are going to be within a three-mile radius of our facility. 
So I mean, that's a that's you know you can't have twenty thousand people, and, and you're looking at those the the supply and demand in that micro market too to make sure that's not oversupplied. But we at least want to see fifty thousand people to a hundred thousand people within a five mile radius. But going back to my example too, with you know. You know, our renters are changing. They're getting younger every year. And there's a lot of people who are finding us online. Google Maps is the number one, um, uh, what do you call it, Search source, of, source yeah. of new leads for yeah. us. Because people are opening their phone. They're, goes, they're going, where's the closest storage facility to me? And they're making a renting decision right off. They're, they're landing on our website. They're, I think right now we're up to about like 60% in the newer facilities that we're opening. We're doing just online rentals. And that's not that's including reservations. And so. from a demographic standpoint, I mean, to, to meet that demographic requirement in Orange County or L.A. or even San Diego, probably not so difficult because it's very densely populated. Mm -hmm. But when you get into other states or other geographical mm -hmm. areas that aren't so much, then I guess the investment aspect of it becomes a little more dicey because you don't want a lot of vacancy and you don't want mm -hmm. the inability to raise rents over time. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, there's certain states, um, well, you know, tertiary, secondary markets and tertiary markets, like outside of major, major urban centers, usually um, there's low cost, you know, barriers to entry too. So you could build a brand new storage facility, you're leasing up great. And then somebody comes in the industry, they go, oh, I'm going to build 120,000 net rentable in a market where there's 30,000 people. Yeah. And they're just going to destroy rates in that market and they're going to hurt everyone. So. And because there's cheap land, whereas here mm -hmm. in California, not so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're in Orange County and you can make something work here, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's right. worth doing a deal here. But as you get into like secondary markets in Texas and in areas like that, you got to be really careful and you better really be near the population that you're building to. And have an advantage over anyone else that's going to come in, but or near a university or yeah. or some other compelling reason to be. Yeah, there. and that's that's its own interesting thing too, because with universities, you get what three and a half months or or whatever, you know, when they're in between semesters right. for the summer, they'll move in and they're out just as fast as they came in. Yeah. So and so from the investment side of things, I mean, you guys own your own properties, you manage third party, and then mm -hmm. when you do new transactions, you bring in outside investors as well. It's a mm -hmm. little bit uh, of each of the aspects mm -hmm. of it. So from an investor standpoint, who's the typical kind of a guy or or entity or person that you would bring in on a deal with you guys? I mean, we've been we've done everything from friends and family to institutional investors, and we can work with both. I think we've built a platform that accommodates institutional investments and institutional investors, but we've really liked doing deals with friends and family. I mean, it's kind of been one of our core values to provide access to, you know, people that we care about and people that typically wouldn't. I mean, how many people off the street right now, you know, have access to institutional quality self-storage investments? Yeah. It's just not something you can look up online and press a button and invest and, in. And, you know? and if you're having dinner talk, you, somebody goes, hey, what are you investing in? Is it, oh, public storage. That's mm -hmm. not really at the top of the yeah. list usually. No, absolutely not. You know, I think I think some of the other industries like multifamily are more mature and bringing in, right. you know, those smaller investors. But a lot of our investors now have been with us since, I want to say, I, I think we started syndicating deals in 1999. So we've been doing it for a while. Uh, yeah, so we've been doing it for a while, and we've had some investors for that same amount of time. And, you know, they just, you know, they've seen the success that they've had with us, and they wanted to stay with us. And, you know, it gives us joy, too, getting to see that, you know, hey, this is their retirement. We're able to put them in real estate, which has a lot of benefits over and beyond. I don't think people always realize the benefits of, of investing in real estate, the depreciation and all the different things like 1031s, you know, being able to do, you know, tax deferred exchanges, all that type of stuff. You're not really getting that when you're throwing your money in an index fund or a stock market or whatever. So there's a lot of benefits of being in real estate that I, I don't think that the, the population has access to. So whenever we have the opportunity to bring somebody in 
and you know get them in one of our deals you know we typically do have a longer term because they get it right and, and so they get the benefits and mm-hmm. you know it's not the hey i'm gonna make a quick buck and i'm flipping mm-hmm. out of this thing in six months it, it's a, a passive investment mm-hmm. that is not labor intensive for them mm-hmm. uh, without hopefully a lot of drama yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not only are they investing in the asset, obviously we're providing information on that, but they're investing in us. Yeah. And, you know, you know, going back to kind of one of your earlier questions about operating in this industry, if you're standing still in this industry, you're falling behind. And because we're so operationally intensive, not a day goes by where we're not thinking about how we can tweak our operations to drive more cash flow, you know, improve the value of the building and serve our customers better. It, it can't leave your mind. You have to constantly be looking at new things that you can do. Yeah, no, so. I agree. So from a cap rate standpoint, when you go look to buy something, is that typically how it gets bought? I mean, do you buy mm-hmm. it based on a cap rate going in and then you either look for value add or if you're building, mm-hmm. there's some sort of return that you're promising yourselves or your investors? Yeah, usually, I mean, going back to the operational repositioning, we two things that we've been doing recently is we've been doing a lot of uh, CFO deals, certif- certificate of occupancy. So they just got the ability to open up their store for operations. They just completed construction, so it's a brand new, brand new Class A facility in a great market. But a lot of the guys that build those facilities, they're not operators, and mm-hmm. they're going to go out to a third party and hope that they do a good job for them. But you know, there's there's risk in building the facility, and then there's risk in leasing it up. And we're really comfortable with the risk of leasing it up. And there's a lot of value you can take. You know, you can you can create. You know, taking a facility from zero percent to ninety-two percent, yeah. getting it to market rates. So we love to buy those facilities because those assets, you know, are, are top of the line. Some of them have the Bluetooth locking systems I was talking about. You know, there's not going to be a lot of capex in the short term, and you know, we feel very comfortable. So what's interesting in those scenarios, you're typically buying those for a lower cap rate, but it's not a true cap rate, right? Well, because you get the value add going forward, yeah. and then if you can, re- the thing I like about the storage is like if you do an apartment deal, it's a one year lease, you're mm-hmm. locked in for a year. Mm-hmm. You do an office deal, you might be locked for three or five mm-hmm. or seven or even ten years. Yeah. Uh, with the public storage, every day is sort of a new day of what the oh, market is. Yeah, thirty-day leases dictate our industry, and you know we're even trying to move beyond those now. We would like to even maybe get down to weekly or you know two-week um, leases, where just like anything else, like if you stay over in multifamily, you pay a higher daily rate, right? right, right. Until right. until you move back into a twelve-month uh, contract. But hey, we might even want to do twelve-month contracts one day too. Like yeah. we don't we don't have that capability to do it. We're month to month. But what's great is like in an inflationary environment, that also allows you to move your rates up. You know, um, allows you to make a lot of changes. If you need to make any changes to the lease itself, you can do that. You're not locked into a twelve-month lease if you have to do modifications or anything like that. So, you know, it gives us a lot of versatility, but I could see in the future even offering something as low as, hey, you want to you want to rent for three days? Well, it's going to be three times the monthly daily rate, but we'll do it for you. Yeah. And, you know, by doing that, we're going to actually increase the gross potential or the most money we can make a month from the facility by having units that maybe get rented out three or four times a month versus just once. Oh, no different than a short-term <coughs> rental or vacation rental uh, versus doing a one-year lease on your apartment, if you yeah. want to keep using that analogy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To go back, though, I wanted to, I wanted to speak to... You know, right now our market's like a 5.25 cap, and I still think that there's a little bit of a gap between the sellers who are coming to grips with the fact that things have changed, interest rates have gone up, and the buyers. So you're starting to see things like slow down. But in our typical deal, you know, it might look like we're buying on a five cap. Pro forma's got to be higher, right? Yeah, the performa. You know, in the first couple of years, we want to get up like you know seven or eight. You know, by what we're doing to reposition the asset. And you know, in, in some instances, you can you can double income if if the operator really doesn't know what they're doing. So. It's a big differentiator what you can do with your operations to increase that cash flow in the first one to three years versus where it would be at if you kept the current operator in place. And if you compare that of the market, whether it's apartments or industrial or even office, that's a you know, seven, eight percent returns pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. Right. And so 
it seems to me what I'm hearing from you is the proof is in the pudding, right? You, you, if you're not operating it well, your chances of success mm-hmm. in terms of maximizing your return are just greatly diminished. You have to be a good operator mm-hmm. uh, in the storage facility to be able to capitalize on what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're a highly fragmented market, too, so I don't know what the stats are in multifamily, but... If you took the top 100 operators in our industry, they only make up about maybe like 30% of the entire industry, maybe like 32 or somewhere around there. So you have all these these mom-and-pa owners that own anywhere between one and four properties. Some of them do a great job. They keep expenses low. They're watching market rates. They're changing them all the time, and they can do that when they have one or two properties. When you start to have four or five, it gets a lot harder to maintain that. Yeah. And you know the greatest opportunities in our industry is buying a facility that's you know not managed by one of the REITs, not managed by one of the top 10 companies, and being able to operationally turn it around because you're you know you're putting your tech platform down, you're putting your market platform to make sure that you you know marketing platform to make sure you're visible online. A lot of people right now, I, I go online today, I can't find somebody on Google Maps in a market with a beautiful facility. Yeah, like what? Well, I mean, that's just it's like somebody having a, an apartment and you didn't go on Craigslist and run an ad. I mean, yeah. like what were you thinking? But people have been successful because you know the tide's been up for so long. That they were six. You could you could be actively working against your operations, and you were full in certain markets, and that's not going to be the case in the next few years. And I think a lot of people are going to come to grips with that and seek out. I mean, I think you mentioned we do third party management, so we help families and different owners that own storage and need to know you have an institutional quality management company come in and make sure they're doing everything they can to stay ahead. So I said it would go quick, and it does. And we only have a couple of minutes <laughs> yeah. left, and I feel wow. like we just got started. Yeah. But a couple of quick questions uh, as we wrap up. So interest rates, they're up. How does that affect your business from an investment standpoint or from your customer's perspective, or does it? The interest rates are definitely hurting the underwriting on our deals. And you know we're seeing adjustments right now on the selling side of anywhere between you know, 12 20% off values from literally three, four, five months ago. So it, it made a lot of deals not make sense overnight. And you know the only way to really make things work, I think, right now is to do lower leverage and pay the yield to your equity versus paying it to the debt. Yeah, that was my next question. Is So the uh, banks really tougher to get a higher loan-to-value loan mm-hmm. out there and then tougher for you to make it pencil just based on yeah. where the rates are? We were already moving in that direction, too. We, we got down to, I think, like one of the deals that we we just wrapped up was like 63% you know, leverage, which is still pretty good, I which, mean, which is still pretty good. But we've been backing off leverage for a while. And I think there's some deals that were even lower than that. We're looking at some deals right now and, and they're penciling when you, you know, you're 50, 50 and you know, you're paying, paying a higher cash on cash to your equity out of the gate, but um, it's going to get a lot harder. And I think until sellers kind of come to grips with, with values and those come in line with where things should be with interest rates, it's going to be really hard to make deals pencil unless there's a major value add play going back to what we talked about where, Hey, I'm going to go in, and yeah, they're doing fifty thousand a month, but I'm going to get them to eighty. Right, and that's where you're going to you're going to create value. And it seems like if I have cash, I can make more better deals. Mm-hmm. And if I'm uh, confident in my operating skills, then mm-hmm. I, I can do a little thinner deal because I know there's some upside uh, at the end of the day. Absolutely, and and you know, sellers going to have to let go of the fact that you know a lot of them are selling on cap rates and second year. Yeah. cash flow after you've you know leased it the up performer, and got, right? yeah. the promise <laughs> yeah. so all that needs to go away and you know we're not buying anything on that right now but like i said there's still deals out there you know if we can buy a deal that's not well managed we can we can make it work for us and our investors 
Good. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on the yeah. show and uh, sharing your thoughts mm-hmm. and, and uh, your company's experience with us. And I wish you and your family and your company much continued success. Yeah. Appreciate um, that. And uh, we'll have your sister on another time and yeah. she can give the other perspective, uh, the female <laughs> perspective of the company. Yeah. Got to um, do it. Yeah. So, but uh, it, it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you and, and to learn more about what you guys do. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks so much, Barry. For all of our viewers and our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in again. I want to give a special thanks to all the folks here at OC Talk Radio, our producer, our announcer, the people who had the candy uh, with the dish as we walked in. And I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company. And thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next week here on Let's Talk Real Estate. Thanks. Thanks. have it you've been listening to let's talk real estate your weekly bs with barry saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in southern california on orange county's only community radio station oc talk radio streaming live from our studio here at the university of california irvine's beale applied innovation center